0: Can changing your corner of the universe change the world? We think so. You've heard the quote, be the change you want to see in the world. But what does that look like? This is where we meet the people that are walking that out. One person, one idea, one decision at a time. Here's Baden and Rex. All right, welcome back to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we had the pleasure of interviewing Kirsten Gilardi from Gorilla Doctors, They have a project where they are helping preserve the mountain gorillas. It's a really cool story, uh, where taking action has really helped the population of these mountain gorillas not only uh, come back, but really thrive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and she mentioned it was a few years ago, um, maybe what twenty years ago or so. It was you know in the two hundreds, and now they're looking at over a thousand of these gorillas. And I mean, it's just. They're such an incredible species. Um, they're so closely related to humans. We talk a little bit about that as far as pathogens and that, but just, just how they live, how they interact. When you go through, you know, go to, go to instagram.com slash Gorilla doctors, check out their page and look at some of the pictures and you just see like how closely related they are to us in so many different ways um, that it, it would be such a shame to see, you know, see them be extinct. And unfortunately, a lot of the ways that they are getting injured and getting hurt are from human poachers who are not trying to poach gorillas. They're actually trying to catch an antelope or something else. And gorillas are getting caught. And And one of the big things that gorilla doctors are doing is helping these gorillas out. And they also do it in the field, which is cool.
0: Yeah. And she touched on it during the interview, but because of the success that they've had with the gorillas, they've really been able to help protect the whole region and thus you know helping all the other wildlife in the area thrive because these gorillas are are doing so well so
1: yeah i I thought it was yeah i thought it was cool too how like she talked about the governments of rwanda uganda and congo working together because i mean rwanda was a place that was obviously a major civil war and a genocide not very long ago so i would have almost thought before talking with her that some of the governments themselves might have been hostile, but it sounds like it's completely opposite, that they fully understand the treasure that they have there um, and are doing all they can to help out. And, you know, I didn't think about it, but it does make sense that tourism is a big industry there. People who want to go see the gorillas and they're doing it in a very sustainable way.
0: Yeah. And you know, she you know, Veda asked a great question during the interview and and, you know, what was the, you know, probably the most special moment you had And she used an analogy of meeting a sibling that you didn't know you had for the very first time. And I just thought it was a a really just impactful analogy just to be able to experience what those emotions would be like, you know, so... um, really special and i and, and when you're in the wild to be able to see one of these massive creatures has got to just be an amazing experience
1: yeah dude it make, really makes me want to go I know, right? and,
0: and go see them. I mean, <laughs> totally,
1: it's one of those experiences that you know it's one of those once in a lifetime experiences that would be awesome to be able to do
0: yeah really great i hope you guys enjoy the episode and if you do please like and share and subscribe
1: all right, here we are today with Kirsten Gilardi and with Gorilla Doctors. This interview, um, super excited about, really excited to learn more about what you guys are doing in certain parts of Africa with the gorillas in the field, and also how you guys are um, doing the background work in the United States here in Davis. So Kirsten, welcome to the episode.
2: Thanks for inviting me. I'm, I'm excited to be here to talk to you guys about it. Gorilla Doctors. Thanks for the invitation.
1: Awesome, cool. So, uh, to get started out, let's just fill people in on what Gorilla Doctors is and what it is that you guys do.
2: Yeah, so Gorilla Doctors is essentially an international team of veterinarians who are based in three countries in East Central Africa, in Rwanda, Uganda, and in the Democratic Republic of Congo, on the eastern side. And um, there, our mission as an organization is to provide life-saving veterinary care for wild mountain gorillas and their close cousins, the Grauer's gorillas. Um, they only live in Rwanda, Uganda, and Eastern Congo. Um, the mountain gorillas in fact live, all, all of them in the world live in just two separate populations inside protected areas in those countries. Um, and so our veterinarians who are all Rwandan, Ugandan, and Congolese uh, live and work in those countries. And um, what's often pretty surprising uh, to people I talk to about the program, is that we don't operate a veterinary clinic or a veterinary hospital where we're bringing gorillas in from the wild and taking care of them in a clinic or hospital and then sending them home. The basically the forests where the gorillas live uh, is our hospital, and our veterinarians do all of their work um, in on animals that need care in the forest. And so, um, it's pretty, uh, incredible work that they do. I'm in total awe of our staff. Um, you know, if, if their work can run the range of, um, hiking into the forests to, um, just conduct what we call a routine health check, which is really a visual physical exam of all of the gorillas in a given family group to see if any of them look like they're injured or suffering from some kind of illness. Um, other times our veterinarians are following up on reports from the park staff that um, there is a gorilla that looks injured or ill and needs to have a veterinarian look at it and make an assessment of whether it needs to be treated. And then if an, if an animal does need to be treated, our, our veterinarians are um, bringing all the equipment and supplies they need to anesthetize that gorilla in the forest, take care of it, um, reverse the anesthesia and return it to its family.
1: Awesome. So one question that popped out when we were first kind of doing some research and looking at the fact sheet was what you just said was that you guys treat all the gorillas on site. So give us a feel of how that goes, because I would guess that gorillas generally are fairly territorial. Am I mistaken on that or is that true?
2: Well, so um, they have a very um, wonderful social structure in that um fam they're essentially an extended family they're typically a gorilla group is um overseen by an uh what we call an alpha male or a silverback male um, who's generally speaking the father to all of the offspring in that group um and then there'll be multiple adult females and juvenile gorillas and baby gorillas and they all live together um and they generally range within a certain area of these parks. But, um, they will move long distances, and in fact we've had uh, we've watched and seen guerrilla groups that normally reside on the Rwanda side of this protected area and go over the border to Uganda or Congo. Of course, they don't know, and they don't really care about international boundaries right, and yeah. these protected areas actually span the international boundaries of those countries and so um so they'll they're they're not territorial about space so much as territorial about their family members and so the males will Mm -hmm. really defend their group they don't want other males to come in and take over their group and you know start making making lots of new babies with their with the females in their group so they're much it's much more about social um territoriality Mm -hmm. rather than space how big are those groups go ahead
0: yeah. How big are the, uh, each individual group? Yeah,
2: it really ranges. I mean, their groups can be as small as, as six or eight gorillas or as large as 40 or 50 gorillas.
0: Okay. Wow. wow.
1: Yeah. And, and in the larger groups, humans?
2: there are often multiple silverback males, but oh. there's only one that's really out at the top of the heap.
1: Gotcha. So are they intimidated by, by humans coming in too? <laughs>
2: well, that's a great question. So, um, you know, as the veterinarians, we can, we really can only do our work because these gorillas are, habituated to the presence of people. Mm. Um, That has been um, really kind of the key to their conservation because um, it was actually going way back to the primatologist, Diane Fossey, and the time that she spent uh, studying mountain gorillas to better understand their behavior and their life histories. Um, She she, in in order to do that, she had to get them accustomed to her presence quite close so that she could observe them for hours at a time. And she's, she started many, many years of close observation of these mountain gorillas for, for research purposes. But what that also allows is for people to come and see the gorillas. And so um, there is a very uh, robust, thriving and um, well-managed gorilla tourism industry in all three countries. People are coming from all over the world to hike into the forest and get um, close enough to these gorillas to be able to observe their behaviors, you know, you know, all range of behaviors. And so that what that human habituation allows is, of course, for our veterinarians to also get close enough to be able to see uh, if a gorilla is ill or injured and if it um, is going to require veterinary care in order to recover from its illness or injury.
0: Now, you said it was a protected area. It's protected in all three countries.
2: Yeah, so there's a a protected area that's called the Virunga Massif. It's essentially seven volcanoes. um, And each country, Rwanda, Uganda, and Congo, designates their portion of the Virunga Massif as a park. So there's Volcanoes National Park in Rwanda, Virunga National Park in Congo, and Mugahinga Gorilla National Park in Uganda. And then in southwestern Uganda, there's a separate park called the Bwindi Impenetrable National Park, and that's where the other portion of the mountain gorilla, the world's mountain mountain gorilla population, lives.
1: So without, without, I was going to ask just real quick. Without, like, obviously getting political, um, as the governments of Rwanda, Uganda, Congo, Dominican, you know, are they helpful? Or are they supportive? Oh
2: gosh, I mean, this is a total team effort. I mean, they nice. they are the ones that are you know. Um have established the parks and maintain them and manage them and protect them and staff them. so um, absolutely um, you know these uh, these gorilla populations are are surviving and in fact thriving uh, because of a very um, hugely collaborative effort that is involves the governments very, very closely. and that's, that's and cool. and then they they form and establish partnerships with various nonprofit organizations, including ours to To really augment and and help with the overall mountain gorilla conservation effort.
0: Nice. I was going to ask, as far as the protection areas go, um, I noticed uh, that one of the factors that you guys have to um, help the gorillas is with the trapping, and the trapping isn't for gorillas, but it's for other yeah
2: so so this goes back again to our roots with diane fossey and um and her observing of the gorillas. she was the first one to say uh to see and observe that um it was not uncommon for the gorillas she was studying to get caught in snares that had been set in the forest for other wildlife so unfortunately, even though these are parks and they're protected, people do enter the parks illegally um, and set snares for other wildlife in the park, for example gotcha. for small forest antelope. But unfortunately, the gorillas can get caught in the snares. And it was really seeing her study animals getting caught in snares that made her, Diane Fossey, say, we really need, um, you know, if we had a veterinarian for these animals, then we could safely anesthetize them and remove these snares before they cause injury. And, um, and that's really how we got started. And um, the park, the parks, the governments, the park staff do um, are in the parks day in and day out looking for these snares and removing them wherever mm-hmm. they find them. But you know, this is a this is the most densely populated part of all of continental Africa, Um, and most people are subsistence farmers, um, growing their food, selling whatever excess food they grow that they don't need themselves for their families. Some of them have livestock, um, but for the most part, you know, this is a population that um, is, you know, not always being able to access the quality and quantity of food that they would like for their families. And so some are going into the parks to hunt and, yeah. and we've done studies to show that, um, when we've looked back at many, many, many years of, of cases of, of snare cases and gorillas, you know, it's really not no surprise. It's the young ones that get caught in snares more often. And it's just cause they're young, just they're kids, just like human kids, right. They get in trouble, right. the they're mm-hmm. curious, they play, they get caught in the snares. Um, and as you know presumably clearly as intelligent as these animals are for whatever reason they don't they don't necessarily know how to or know to remove the snares they're very strong so the snares will often if they're rope they'll you know break right off of whatever they've been set on but instead of loosening the snare and removing uh the snare they tend to just pull on the free end and make that snare tighter and tighter Uh, around their, their arm or their leg, or even babies will sometimes get them around their necks. So, so, I mean, I, I hate to use the term, but really snare, snare removal is kind of the bread and butter of our work because despite all the efforts to protect the parks and make sure that there isn't illegal entry, it, it does still occur. And, um and, you know, we know that we can go in with our equipment and anesthetize a gorilla that's got a snare wrapped around a limb or its neck, remove the snare, clean the wound, provide, you know, injectable antibiotics and pain relievers. And then um, just as importantly, really, uh, we can give them uh, drugs that actually reverse the effects of the anesthetic that we gave them in order to Mm -hmm. have them be anesthetized for a short period of time. So the whole operation Mm -hmm. is typically an hour or less Wow. And the animals wake up and all of the drug that they got to make them go to, you know, get anesthetized is out of their system and they're back with their families.
0: Does so, the family just watch? That's what <laughs> I was to <gonna> ask too.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is remarkable, but um, they are, uh, they just watch. I mean, wow. you know, the, there's always a group of park um, trackers around our veterinarians while they're working on an animal to make sure that a big silverback or another adult gorilla doesn't charge, but it's, very, very rare that such a thing happens almost always you know if the if the guards simply just stand up tall and make noises, the gorillas will back off, but it they don't um they don't hassle our veterinarians while um, our veterinarians are working on one of their family members and in fact, um, they I've even heard stories from our veterinarians of the gorillas actually in some respects helping our veterinarians do their job by keeping some of their family members back away from the procedure um there's my our, our congolese head vet had a and our uh, other congolese vet were both working on a snare case and um it was difficult um and there were some juvenile males in the group that just kept getting in the way and, and making mm-hmm. it very very difficult to access this baby that had a snare and um finally this the silverback in the group got between the troublesome young males and the baby with the snare and made sure that our vets could get to that baby wow. there and give it. A, yeah. I mean, it's kind of wow. amazing. Do, do you
1: think that's, do you think that's possible because that, you know, alpha male silverback had seen you guys before and that was why, or just hard uh, to say. You know,
2: you're asking all the right questions we ask ourselves. It's really hard to say. I mean, it's not like that's been scientifically studied by yeah. us, but it just, I think, you know, as, as the animals get older and have more life experience and really, get wiser. I mean, I think, I think it's a part of me that thinks that they know are there to help. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm anthropomorphizing, um, you know, extremely uh, anthropomorphic when I say that, but I, yeah. it's it's hard to explain it otherwise. I guess that's all. Yeah. I can say.
1: They are incredibly smart animals. I mean, so that's, mm-hmm. that's part of it for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to, I, when I first was reading through the fact sheet of what you guys were doing, I didn't, wasn't familiar with the term snare. So just so everyone who's listening knows, is it pretty much like you would imagine like in a cartoon, like where Wile E. Coyote, where they have the circle and a rope on a tree branch and then it just flings
2: them? Yeah, it? pretty much. I mean, I, yeah, there's, um, uh, I think we may even have a picture of one. Uh, I don't know if we have a picture of one on our website, but yeah, they're, they're pretty much like the Wile E. Coyote snare. I mean, it's a rope or a wire that's formed into a noose and then tied to a branch. And if that branch is, it's often, you know, it will be tied to like a big piece of bamboo mm-hmm. and that bamboo is put under tension. And if it's, if the animal steps in the noose and pushes the bamboo, it pushes it away. Then the noose gets tightened on around the limb and the animals caught.
0: Wow. What do these gorillas uh, live for?
2: Well, um, there are, you know, if, if they make it to adulthood, we've had gorillas live into their late thirties um, and even into their early forties. Wow.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um, And they
2: have, you know, they're, they have pregnancies that are about the same as humans and um, females will give birth in their lifetimes to anywhere from two to six offspring, um, have babies every few years if it falls well.
1: And you guys have done incredible work, I'm sure, with other organizations too, of increasing the population significantly.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's certainly what keeps me going, keeps my batteries charged for all of this. Um, When you think about it, there really aren't that many well, there are too few wildlife conservation success stories. I mean, when California condor is an incredible success story, Mm -hmm. peregrine falcons, um, when it comes to great apes and, you know, mountain gorillas are the only great ape whose numbers in the wild are increasing, which Mm. is wonderful, but very sobering when you consider the fact that numbers of chimpanzees, Western gorillas, orangutans are all, are all decreasing. Um, And for the mountain gorillas, you know, they really benefit from the fact that, you know, number one, they live in protected areas. Uh, Number two, many of them are human habituated, so they can be monitored very, very closely. And so that, you know, it can be um, noticed when Mm -hmm. they may be ill or injured. There are veterinarians who can care for them if they are ill or injured. Um, And most importantly, you know, with the world having the opportunity to go and see them, um, that generates... The revenue that the governments need in order to do a really good job with park management and protection. So it's mm. um, it is it is a remarkable story. Um, the numbers just keep going up. The most recent census results estimate that there are a um, thousand and sixty three mountain wow. growers in the world um, living in those two protected areas.
1: Wow. Was, and it was down there. to the low hundreds, not too far. It long was down day. to
2: the two hundreds, mid two hundreds at Diane Posse's and Diane Fosse's yeah, time
0: wow. back. In the That's period. incredible. Yeah. How long have you guys been around?
2: So the Mountain Gorilla, so Gorilla Doctors started as a program called the Mountain Gorilla Veterinary Project that was in the uh, mid 1980s. And so 30 plus years. Okay. Um, I've been working with Gorilla Doctors for the last 10 years as, as uh, one of the directors. Um, I'm Like you mentioned earlier on the call, I'm based here at the uh, School of Veterinary Medicine at UC Davis. We have a research service and teaching unit called the Karen C. Dreyer wildlife health center. And, um, our center ad- administers runs, um, multiple different wildlife health and conservation f- focused programs and projects like gorilla doctors. Um, we're closely partnered with, um, the nonprofit organization mountain gorilla veterinary project and together we're, the, we're gorilla doctors. Um, That's but funny. we've been doing our work for, gosh, let me do the math. What is that? 30, 35 years. Yeah. Am I off by a decade? I would have to do the math.
0: No, somebody, sounds,
2: somebody listening can do the math for me.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds right to me. 35 sounds
2: right.
1: Yeah. yeah. I had heard that, um, and this could be, correct me if I'm wrong, that when a gorilla gets caught up in a snare, that their family members or other gorillas will actually try and help the other one out. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, if it's a rope snare, um, the adults will will do their very best to break that snare so that the animal's not still caught on the tree or the bamboo mm. that it that the snare is attached to um if it's a wire snare the gorillas will actually break the tree or the, the branch, branch bamboo right. that the wire is attached to we've had our our vets have gone in gosh even this as recently as this past year um one of our uganda vets w- went into i believe it was Buendi impenetrable national park to care for a, a juvenile gorilla that had a wire snare um but it was still attached to the branch um and so he was carrying around you know not only was he upset because he had a wire snare around his arm but he also was attached to this big branch that right. was attached to the, yeah. end of the snare so so they will um they'll definitely do their very best to uh, free the animal from what it's attached to and then um, and then, it, you know, unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, once in a while, they'll succeed in getting the snare off themselves, but mm. it's, that doesn't happen as often as we'd like.
1: Yeah. And assuming that they don't, that's when they start to get infections and the skin yeah, will around it around and exactly. that becomes a big issue.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, hopefully because these animals are habituated, we, we notice when the snare event has happened soon enough that we can remove that snare before it causes serious injury. I mean, if it's tight, invariably, it causes a little a laceration you know, around the wrist or the ankle Mm. or the neck. Um, if, uh, if a gorilla is not fully habituated to the presence of people and is therefore not seen every day by somebody to notice if it has a snare, then that's where we run the risk of a snare being on for so long that it gets deeply embedded in the tissue. Um, and we, you know, unfortunately have had cases like that and we've even, because our, our veterinarians are, um, you know, really the experts in the region for wildlife veterinary medicine, um, it, specifically in Congo, our veterinarians there have been involved in removing snares from forest, um, uh, from elephants. And the, those oh, wow. have been, uh, unfortunately have been situations where clearly the snare has been on for a while. Um, mm-hmm. and so there was just quite a bit of, you know, removing the snare is a big job, especially a snare that's big enough to, to, uh, to get, wrap around the elephant's leg. Um, yeah. that's like, you know, we're not talking about a little wire, we're talking about a huge cable. And so getting that off and cleaning wow. that wound, but, but we've, we've done it. And those wow. uh, elephants have, uh, woken up from anesthesia and walked off without that snare wrapped around their legs. So.
1: Yeah. Assuming that's probably, those poachers are actually probably trying to get an elephant versus the yeah. gorillas. They're not really trying yeah. to get a gorilla. It's just, they just, yeah.
2: I mean, there's a certain amount, um, there has been, and, and always we worry about, um, the, you know, the illegal trade and wildlife trafficking and the perception among some that there might be value in trying to get a gorilla. And so we do unfortunately have, um, there are orphaned mountain gorillas and orphaned growers gorillas in special facilities um and those animals have been confiscated from poachers so um now whether that was a you know that was probably a wild gorilla group where the poachers managed to get a baby away from its mom and its family and take it into captivity and um and those babies you know by the time those sort of poaching s- situations are discovered and handled by the government by the wildlife authorities you know our job as gorilla doctors is to provide emergency care for those infant gorillas once they've been confiscated they're often pretty sick you know they haven't been fed well they're dehydrated they're often sick with the respiratory tract infection so we take care of them and then they if it's a mountain gorilla it moves to a facility called St. Kwekwe facility which is in Congo if it's a grower's gorilla orphan it goes to another facility called Grace so we we are closely partnered with those two facilities because our vets are um, you know are able to, to help them with those animals
0: what's the difference between those the two gorillas that you said the mountain gorilla and then the yeah growers? they're
2: essentially subspecies of the um the species eastern gorilla so the gorillas that people see in zoos around the world including here in the U- u.s are western gorillas um and then there's a different species the eastern gorilla that lives in the eastern part of africa and of the eastern gorilla and its scientific name is gorilla beringii there are two subspecies Gorilla beringei, beringei, which is the mountain gorilla, and Gorilla beringei graueri, which is the grauer's gorilla, and they they look a little bit different and they live in different places. I mean, the mountain gorillas live at high altitude on the sides of these volcanoes, um, and they're adapted to living at high altitude in cold climates. The grauer's gorilla is uh, lives at lower elevation, kind of on the slopes of the um, eastern side of the Congo Basin. Wow.
0: Yeah. Do they ever intermingle or?
2: They're, uh, you know, maybe once upon a time, but <laughs> they, they've been sufficiently separated to be clearly genetically different. Gotcha. And okay. certainly separated now um, in space. I mean, between where mountain gorillas live and where gorillas live are millions of people in gotcha. their okay. farm fields. So there really isn't, you know.
1: A way. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Um, have you always had a love for gorillas, primates? <laughs> or is it just something that kind of came across t-
2: Yeah, well, uh, I'm a veterinarian, so I've always been an animal crazy person (laughs) and, um, you know, had a dog growing up, had a horse when I was a teenager, but all through my childhood would, you know, read and love books and TV shows about wildlife. Um, My parents gave me Jane Goodall's book, Chimpanzees of Gombe, when I was 10 or 11. It's a big, big book, you know, I don't Mm. know what I was thinking and asking for (laughs) (laughs) but I got it. So I must have, you know, clearly had a a fascination with them from a a young age. And then, um, you know, I spent time after I graduated from veterinary school working in the field of primate medicine and then started here at the wildlife health center. um, Gosh, how many years ago now I have to do more math Um, (laughs) over 20 years ago and um, had this opportunity to start working with the gorilla doctors program about 10 years ago. And so for me, it was sort of the, I don't know full circle thing, you know, having gone to veterinary school and specialized in primate medicine, and then have but going, I went to vet school to be able to work on wildlife and conservation, and so when this opportunity presented itself to um, to contribute to this incredible program, which um, I I knew about and had been watching and admiring for years and years and years, um, yeah. I was just thrilled.
1: I'd say you must have had an interest. I had heard of Jane Goodall when I was younger, but I definitely not interested enough to read the whole her book.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you
1: definitely had an interest, as I guess know, so. Younger. I guess so.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Is there other
0: primates in that area? Uh, with there the,
2: are um... yeah. Um, so in, uh, for example, in the park where the mountain girls the in the Rwanda side of the park where the mountain girls live, there are also. Habituated golden monkeys, which are a small primate, beautiful, um, and so people can get up close to them. Um, in Bwindi Impenetrable National Park, there are several species, including black and white colobus. So, if you've been, you ever seen them in a zoo, they're just stunning animals. Long coats, long tails, with big white stripe, almost like skunk-like stripe down their yeah. back, uh, white white on their faces. So, um, there are chimpanzees in the um, these forests, not in the not in the Virunga Massif, but in uh, Bwindi and in the forests where the Growers gorilla live. So it's, you know, it's an incredibly biodiverse part of Africa, and I think that speaks again to the value of the mountain gorilla for the region because you know mountain gorillas are such a conservation success story, have so much value mm-hmm. for their hosts, the governments, but also for people around the world who want to see them that they confer that protection on the forests where they live, and in so doing, you know, protect so many other species um and not just of animals i mean insect diversity plant diversity right you know, yeah you know, so you, uh, and this is the other the other you know these forests have also i've heard them described as essentially giant sponges you know they they essentially create their own weather there's a lot of water comes down and the forest because of its structure is able to trap that water and essentially deliver it to downslope. And so um, all the water that's used in the region by people is coming from those mountaintops. So um, it's really critical that they remain intact and, and just the presence of the gorillas has really made that possible.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Do gorillas and or other primates run risk of um, getting diseases from humans?
2: So um, it's a a great question. And, um, and yes, is the short answer. So gorillas and humans are uh, genetically very closely related. Mm -hmm. Um, And among other things, that means that gorillas um, are susceptible to pathogens, um, especially things like viruses that people carry. Um, And while they have their own, pathogens that circulate among the path, the populations that can cause illness, um, we have documented that, um, a human respiratory virus, um, can cause illness and even, uh, death in mountain gorillas. And so, um, the fact that we share pathogens is one of the, it is the main reason that there are rules about how close people can get Mm -hmm. to gorillas in the wild. And so, um, you know, there's a sen- essentially um, a generally accepted set of rules for um, distance that people are supposed to keep. And yeah, by, sure. the sort of behind that is this idea that if somebody were to cough or sneeze in an open air setting, how far could a droplet from somebody's nose or mouth go in the air? Um, and so, general the distance is seven meters, and th- to stay away from the gorillas. Mm. So if you, the people are supposed to stay seven meters. Of course, gorillas do what they yeah they will do <laughs> they're not under anyone's control, so um but it is it is always a concern um it's not it's not a reason to not keep gorillas habituated because again i I truly believe it's right. saved the species, but it is something that we need to always be aware of yeah all right I so have... like tourists are actually asked when they arrive the day that they're going to trek up in the forest to see the gorillas, they're asked if they're feeling healthy. Um, And if they're not, if they've got a sore throat or they're coughing and they've got a runny nose or they've got a fever, um, they're not supposed to go into the forest just to be with the gorillas because they're clearly sick with something that could be transmitted to the gorillas. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Although they would probably be like, no, I'm fine. I really want to see the gorillas. I came all the way all <laughs> well, the way here.
2: Exactly. I mean, I that of course humans are humans, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've been waiting up two years to make this trip. I'm not gonna exactly.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I'm curious to know if you have a story that was either just because of. It's just a curious, uh, a close call with any gorilla and then also any other story of just like a really loving moment, because I don't want to just focus on the close kind of scary call, but also the genuine lovingness of
2: the gorilla. Yeah, no, I can't say that I've had a scary call. I mean, I've certainly had gorillas um, come close and come quickly, um, but I didn't. It wasn't scary for me because I just knew enough about them to know that they're just kind of bluffing. So I haven't had a scary moment.
1: So do you hold your ground? Is that what you
2: do? Like just, yeah, I mean, generally you're supposed to um, not, certainly not supposed to run or, or you're just supposed to be sort of passive and typically they'll, I mean, I, I know plenty of people who've either been as tourists or, or people working in the park who've had a gorilla maybe come by and, you know, kind of sh- shove them Throw to the side while they walk past yeah. them. But um it's really, really, really rare for these animals to hurt someone. It yeah. just really, and
0: way. how big is the, uh, like an adult male?
2: You can get up to to 500. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, I think, you know, for me, it's going to sound corny, but I think for me, and it's still one of my most, uh, strong memories of the, of the gorillas is the very first time I ever saw one. And, um, and I, it was sort of a rainy afternoon. I just started with gorilla doctors and we were trekking in the park. And of course I'm just completely um, overwhelmed with excitement about seeing them for the first time and, you know, life dreams coming through all those things. And it kind of came around a corner in the path and there was a silverback gorilla sitting in his, it's kind of sitting in his night nest actually night nests are their their beds the beds that they make um in the forest to sleep in at night they all tend to sleep all piled on top of each other anyway he was sitting there and we came around the corner and and i looked at his face and he looked right in my face he looked right in my eyes and we were basically looking at each other and i had never had an experience like that with a wild animal in my life and um and that's what's pretty amazing about seeing these animals is that that you have that Experience every single time. I mean, and and I've tried to explain how that feels to people when I tell them about what it's like to see these animals. And the best kind of best thing I can come up with is that it's for me. It's it's a uh, it's emotional as as it would be emotional if I was told I had a a brother or sister or relative that I didn't know I had that I was meeting for the very first time. Um, There is truly that kind of it's in a connection i think looking in the eyes of an animal like that is um is an incredibly moving experience and so um i always go back back to that first experience as what Mm -hmm. really keeps me motivated and of course i mean i'm just as i mentioned earlier just a total awe of our teams um you know i'm here in davis most of the year i go over a few times a year i don't always get to see the gorillas when i go over um but our our vets are completely tireless and, you know, comp- just unbelievably brave and dedicated and go into, hike into the forest sometimes for hours to get to the group that they need to check. And this is rugged, rugged uh, territory. I mean, these are, you know, steep climbs or yeah. um, so in, in all kinds of weather. So I, I just, um, I'm in awe of them. So that's but part of what keeps me Um, My battery's charged as the director of the program is knowing that, you know, what I'm doing here is really making their work possible. And and then to know that as an organization, what we're doing is really making a difference for species and contributing to a success story is uh, just hugely rewarding.
0: How big is your team, by the way?
2: Uh, We have, so we have, let's see, I got to count. We've got 11 veterinarians in all three countries. And then we have, a couple of technicians. We have, um, administrative support staff and we have, uh, yeah, so we're, our, our core team is about 15 people. And then we have, I'm here, um, and we have a development officer and a marketing and communications staff person here in the U S so we're really lean here in the U S and really all of, all of the majority of our activities and the bulk of our resources are really going to straight to Africa to, to achieve our mission there. Well,
1: and were your vet were, are most of your vets there full time or they kind of come back they're, to the US for a couple months? No, no,
2: no. They're there full time. They live yeah. there and work there. We yeah. we bring them over for you know, sometimes they're giving talks or helping us with a, mm-hmm. some kind of outreach event or they're invited to give a talk at a, a conference or a special meeting, but um they live and work there in their countries. Oh.
1: Very so cool. for anyone listening, what's the best way to be able to support guerrilla doctors? <laughs>
2: um, well, I think um Going, you know, following us—not just a social media, but get, you know, getting on our website, subscribing to our blog, Um, and then our organization is nearly 100% dependent on private sector support. So our whole, our whole budget comes from individuals who care about the gorillas and want to make a difference with their support. So we really, really rely on people and their generosity um, in order to achieve our mission. So people who Uh, want to help gorilla doctors can go online and make a donation or mail in a donation Um, following us on our social media sites and spreading the word about our work is is hugely important and um, and then just um, you know sharing sharing the fact that mountain gorillas are conservation success story and that's partly because um, they get veterinary care is Mm -hmm. is a message we really try to spread around the world because it's 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 a kind of a little-known fact, but it's an important aspect of
0: definitely uh, the Absolutely.
2: success story.
0: Do you guys name the gorillas?
2: <laughs> we <laughs> don't name them. The um, the park authorities do. Yeah, they all okay. have names.
0: Okay, yeah. I, I thought yeah, they, they might.
2: Don't have, they don't have numbers or or anything. The the family group has a name, and then the individual group gorillas have names. Um, and then and in Rwanda, they actually have an annual naming ceremony called Quida Azina, where all the babies that were born that year are officially given their names by the park authorities. Yeah. So it's a way of celebrating, you know, the next that year's uh, cohort of of babies. And it's a big deal. I mean, though people come from all over the world, the president typically comes in for that ceremony. I mean, you know, all three countries really understand and know that they have something very special. And they're really proud of it.
1: Nice. I'm glad you mentioned social media because if you think about probably the easiest, coolest thing to share for anyone watching or listening, I mean, on social media are the imagery on Instagram or on Facebook, I mean, it's like these awesome gorillas or these adorable, you know, juvenile baby gorillas. And, um, you wouldn't believe that just sharing some of that content helps raise awareness to a few more people, to a few more people, to a few more people.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, you know, we're, we're lucky we've got, um, our, our staff really embrace that. And we have uh, someone dedicated to, you know, a person on our staff dedicated to this, making sure that we're getting that content out. And yeah. you're absolutely right. You know, pictures speak a thousand words and give us opportunities to also tell our story. So,
1: yeah, yeah, they're great photos. I was just scrolling through your Instagram. It's just so many great photos.
2: Uh, yeah. And, you know, those are all taken by our staff.
1: Are they really?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our veterinarians are out.
1: Veterinarian slash fo- professional photographer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Well, I mean, they, they often take, you know, they use a camera in the process of doing their work because they'll take a picture of a, you know, if they see something, a skin, something on the skin or a swelling, they'll take a picture um, in order when they get Doctrine, back to yeah. our office, they share the picture with their colleagues or their vets. What do you think's going on here? They can use it to then gauge whether they, that situation is getting worse or better. So they use a camera as a as a diagnostic tool. Awesome. Very cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, we love what the work you're doing, and uh, Thank you. it's it's something that uh, you know a lot of times when we're interviewing nonprofits, it's to, to help other people. But it's it's great to see the work that you guys are doing to you know save. Not only this species, but it sounds like you guys are saving a whole region. So that's just amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah. are contributing to it to the effort. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I yeah. love that. I love that. Like you said, it's through the, the for sure. Yeah, through the veterinary care that you guys are providing, you know, significantly increasing the the population. It's yeah. proof is right there of um, why everyone should support gorilla doctors and mm-hmm. help them out to be able to continue the great work that you're doing.
2: Thanks. Thanks for those words. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time for us today.
2: Thanks again for the invitation. It was really, uh, really fun to talk with you guys.
0: If you liked today's episode, you can find more information at mycorneroftheuniverse.com. And
2: don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.